And if you're joining us here for the first time at Southside Bible Fellowship, we believe that since the Bible is God's word, and that we are God's children, can you say it with me? The Bible is God's word for us. Father, we come before you this morning, again acknowledging your presence in this place, thanking you for your word and for the power of your word. And we pray that your Holy Spirit who teaches us may enable us to understand your word and that through it you may accomplish what you intend to accomplish this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. The title for this message, as you have seen on your bulletin, is Do You Want to Get Well? We are told in, in verse 1, some time later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now there is in Jerusalem near the ship get a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, and the paralyzed. So Jesus is in Jerusalem, but he decides to, to take a walk. And he goes to this place, in this pool where people gathered together, sick people. They gathered together, came waiting for a moment. When the water ripples, they believed the first one who would get in would be healed. So Jesus decides to go there. This is... One characteristic of Jesus, he always concentrates with the needs of the people. He always focuses on the helpless. He always pays attention on those that everyone else is abandoning. Those who are rejected, those who are lonely, he pays attention to them. And therefore, he goes to this pool. You can imagine the place. The disabled, the blind, the paralyzed. You can imagine the hopelessness, the despair, the pain. Most likely, the smell. It's not a place that uh, most, Christi most Christians would want to go. It's one of those places that uh, some Christians are tempted to avoid. Verse 5, one who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him, lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want 
to get well. <laughs> what kind of a question is that? Of course he wanted to get well. That's why he came there. But when Jesus is asking him, do you want to get well? Jesus is giving him an opportunity to respond. Do you want to get well is a question that each one of us has to continue responding to. Do you want to get well is a question that addresses our deepest needs. It calls us to look unto our own brokenness. Whether you believe in Jesus, you have a relationship with him or not, you still need to respond to this question. As a believer, do you want to get well? Of course you've been healed from your sin, but there is a continual healing that we all need from bitterness and anger and unforgiveness and negative attitudes and But for that person who does not have a relationship with Jesus Christ, do you want to get well? The healing that you need is the relationship that you don't have with Jesus Christ. And so Jesus asks this man, he, he focuses on one person even though there are many who are in need of help. And I'm thinking, when he's asking this man, do you want to get well? Others are also looking unto him and listening, paying attention. Who is this man that is asking this kind of a question in this place? Do you want to get well is a question that invites us to come to Jesus for our healing. The man replied, I mean, I expected him to say yes. But instead he says, sir, I have no one to help me into the pool where the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. This man says, I can't get well because I, for me to get well, I must be the first one. And I can't. I have tried. I've been in this condition for 38 years. He expresses his despair, his hopelessness. For those of you that are, think that God helps those who help themselves, you should read this passage. Because Jesus says to him, 
get up, pick up your mat and walk. When it comes to God, it's not about being the first. It's always about what God wants to do. At once the man was cured, he picked up his mat and he walked. The mat that was carrying him, he carried it. Jesus changed his life. Now, we are not told whether Jesus did anything else there, but if uh, you want to think about it, you want to imagine, because the scripture allows us to imagine. We don't add to the scripture. We don't take out from the scripture, but you are allowed to imagine, especially when it's a narrative. A narrative is meant to give you an opportunity to walk in your mind with the narrator. Maybe there are some who, after seeing this, wanted also to be healed. We are not told. But I don't think Jesus healed this man in secret. Especially because almost everyone who was there had come for healing. We'll come back to that. The day on which... This took place was a Sabbath. And so the Jewish leaders say to the men who had been healed, it is the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. This man is walking with his mat on his head. He's probably enjoying the moment. For the first time in his life, he can walk. He probably wants everyone to notice him. I think... He's carrying the mat also to attract attention. It reminds me of the guy who was voted in his village as the most humble person. And he was given a crown. And then he was wearing it everywhere he went. And the villagers decided to take it from him. So they asked him, why are you carrying your mat and it's, it's Sabbath? You're not supposed to carry anything. These are religious leaders. They observe the law to the fullest. But he replied, the man who made me well said to me, pick up your mat and walk. He said, ah, don't blame me. It was more not my idea. I'm just doing what I was told to do. <laughs> He's forgetting that <laughs> the walking was the most important thing, not the carrying of the mud. So they asked him, who is this fellow who told you to pick it up and walk? And this man says in verse 13, well, he doesn't respond, but John tells us he kind of explains to us his response. He says, the man was healed, had no idea who it was, for Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. 
So this is where I think there is something that we need to pay attention to because we are, he doesn't tell us his response. Instead, he explains to us. Later, Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, I, I, I think Jesus was observing him. And he saw how he was carrying his mat, and he came to him, he said, see you are well again, stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. Now you read that statement and you, add, you want to ask yourself, what is it that Jesus saw for him to tell him stop sinning? What did he do here? The man went away, and after that, he went away and told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who had made him well. Makes me think that this action is a response to the words of Jesus, stop sinning. So because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jewish leaders began to persecute him. In his defense, Jesus said to them, my father is always at work. If I were you, I would underline that passage there. To this very day, and I too am working. For this reason, they tried all the more to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. There are several lessons that we can learn from this, and I want us to pay attention to them. Let's look at verse 11, 11 to 15, and see the first lesson there. One, the man replied, the man who made me well said to me, pick up your mat and walk. So they asked him, who is this man? And John explains to us. And then Jesus appears and he tells him, see you are well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen. And this man runs to the religious leaders to tell them that the person who healed me is Jesus. Number one, God works in our lives so that we can glorify him. Let me explain this. This is what I see. I think this man knew it was Jesus who had healed him. But he was trying to avoid the trouble. And when Jesus appears to tell him stop sinning, he realizes he's wrong. And he rushes back to the religious leaders to tell them it was Jesus. I think he needed to proclaim Christ, but he was avoiding it, just as some of us avoid it. 
even though we know that we have been healed. We know that God has worked in our lives. We have a story. We have a testimony. But we avoid it. For several reasons. And Jesus appears to him. He tells him, see you are well. Stop sinning or something worse may happen. And he rushes back to the religious leaders to tell them, it is Jesus who healed me. Jesus doesn't introduce himself to him. How did he know this time that it was Jesus? What made him know at this time that wasn't possible for him to know at that other time? I think the sinning here is him avoiding to proclaim the one that brings healing. Let's go to verse 10 and see another lesson here. So, number one, God works in our lives so that we can glorify him. He works in us, not so that we may feel good about ourselves, not so that we may walk with our mats on our heads, so that everyone can see that something has happened and we get the attention, but so that we can glorify him, so that we can point people to him, so that we can tell them he has done this for me, he is able to do it for you. Everything he does in our lives is meant to point people to him. The temptation will be to point people to ourselves. But God wants us to glorify him. To make him known. Verse 10 The day on which this took place was a Sabbath. It's a big celebration. It's a a day that no one was supposed to work. Look at verse 16. So because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jewish leaders began to persecute him. How dare you heal someone on a Sabbath? Number two, our religious positions affect our view of God and his work. I'm calling it religious positions because these are religious people. But you can also call it theological position. Because of the positions that we take, theologically, religiously, we fail to have a proper view of God because our positions lock God in a certain place. 
we fail to have a proper view of him and what he is doing. This is what is happening with the religious leaders. Because of the theological, religious positions that they have, they fail to see what God is doing. Their positions are affecting their view of God and their view of God's work. Because they think, since this is a Sabbath, then even God has to submit to it. And they began to persecute Christ. What we think of what others are doing wrong Sometimes it reflects our misconceptions about God. Our thinking reflects at times our misconceptions about God. But sometimes our thinking reflects our unbelief in what God is doing. At times, our thinking reflects our misreading of God's word. When we are quick to focus on what others are doing wrong, at times it is a reflection of our own misreading of the scriptures. That's one of the reasons I don't focus on what other churches are doing or preaching. That's not my call. My call is to focus on what God is saying and examine myself on whether I am staying in the faith. Because in the end, God will not ask me whether I preached about the Catholics or the Pentecostals. He will not ask me that. I'll be accountable for his word. Just as you will be accountable. And that's why when we are approaching God in his word, we must allow him to speak to us. We don't bring our theological positions to God's word. Let God confront those positions so that we can end up having one position which is his position. Regardless of what someone else will say. That's one of the reasons, again, I don't identify with any theological position. I don't. Now that will scare you. I do have some parameters, but I am willing to follow God's word wherever it will take me. And when it speaks of his sovereignty, I will speak of his sovereignty. When God's word speaks of man's responsibility, I will do the same. I'm not going to lock God in a theological position. 
Now, that probably is making some of us uncomfortable. If that's happening, thank God. You know, one purpose of preaching is to comfort the discomforted and to discomfort the comforted. (laughs) Our religious positions affect our view of God and his work. You would expect these religious leaders to be the first ones to thank God for healing this person, for rejoicing. They should be the ones rejoicing with him and thanking God for transforming his lives. Yet they are focusing on something else. Why did he have to do it on a Sabbath? And many of us, many Christians, are missing the joy that the Lord brings in our lives. We are failing to enjoy what the Lord is doing in our lives and the lives of others because we are busy focusing on what is wrong. That's why we have many Christians who don't even smile. And the same Christian claims that God is in control. At least allow him to control your joy. Allow him to control your smile, your attitude on things. Let's look at verse 17 and 18. In his defense, Jesus said to them, My father is always at work. To this very day, and I too am working. So Jesus is taking them back to the Old Testament here. Because when they brought up the issue of the Sabbath, they are linking what is happening this celebration to the Old Testament. And Jesus takes them there. The first time we hear about the Sabbath is in Genesis chapter 2, verse 2 and 3, that says, By the seventh day God had finished the work he had been doing, so on the seventh day he rested from all his work, Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. According to the religious leaders, God is still resting. According to Jesus, God remains at work even when he is resting. My father is always at work Unto this very day. And I must work also. We also see uh, the Sabbath in Exodus. If you look at chapter 20 verse 8. God tells his people. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. 
In Exodus 31, 15 and 17, and you can read the whole chapter too. From two verses I'm going to read, 15 and 17, he says, For six days work is to be done, but the seventh day is a day of Sabbath rest, holy to the Lord. Whoever does any work on the Sabbath day is to be put to death. This is what is supposed to happen to Jesus. It will be a sign between the Israelites and me forever. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, and on the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. So it takes us back to Genesis chapter 2. The purpose of the Sabbath was to help God's people focus on God. Keeping it holy meant that they would focus on God, pay attention to him as a shadow of the Sabbath rest that awaited them. It was to help God's people focus on God as a shadow of the Sabbath rest that awaited them. There was rest that was coming for them. And this needed to put them in a position of practice and expectancy. Look at Colossians chapter 2, verse 16 and 17. Colossians 2, 16, 17, we are told, Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what, by what you eat or drink, or regarding a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. According to Colossians, that Sabbath was a shadow and the reality is Jesus Christ. That tells us that the rest that God's people need is found in Christ. It tells us that without Christ, we are all restless until we find our rest in him. He's not just the Lord of the Sabbath. He's the fulfillment of the Sabbath. Look at Matthew 12, verse 8. Jesus says, the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. He's the master of it. He controls it. He's over and above it. In Matthew 12, verse 8. Now in Matthew eleven twenty-eight, Jesus says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. The rest that we need, the rest that God prepared us for, is found in Jesus Christ. He is not just the Lord of the Sabbath. He is our Sabbath. That's why every sinner is restless. 
Every sinner is trying to find fulfillment on something else, from something else, and they will only find their rest when they come to Christ. He is the finishing point and the starting point. The Alpha and Omega. We start in him, we end in him. He is not just the Lord of the Sabbath. He is our Sabbath. And these religious leaders, because of their religious positions, are missing the point. And Jesus is telling telling them, my father is always at work and I must work also. Jesus is telling them that what I am doing here is what the Father is doing. It's not like I have brought my own agenda. I am here to fulfill my Father's mission. What you need to do is to join me. Not to be against me. But I'm telling you, religious positions, theological positions will make people fail to join God in what he is doing. Because it affects our view of God and his work. Just think of the positions that you have and how they limit you. Oh, we are not going to pray this way because this is how they pray. We are not going to sing this way because this is how they sing. When when Anthony was telling us here that we need to clap, my goodness. (laughs) Were you listening to those claps? And how out of tune they were? Could you feel the discomfort? It was hard. Suddenly our hands became so heavy. This is not how we were raised up to be. We don't clap in church. We only clap when we are watching baseball and football. Not in church. Suddenly our hands were so heavy. The same hands that are so quick to make coffee couldn't just raise and clap. (laughs) Someone somewhere told you how to behave in church. And you believed them so much that it's affecting you from enjoying the freedom that we have in Christ. We are told where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. But some of us are still in bondage. We haven't allowed Jesus to shake us up. And all these are positions that we have entertained in our lives. And they are affecting us 
from seeing what God is doing in our own lives and the lives of others. What is your position on, on these issues, on spiritual issues, and how is that position affecting your view of God and his work? Do you know the reason the Levite and the priest walked by the wounded man on Jericho Street was because of their religious positions? Because they were not supposed to come into contact with a dead body or a blood. So they needed to avoid it. They were so focused on keeping the law than on obeying the Lord of the law. Some of us are the same. And some of us need to turn to God this morning and ask him to set us free from our religious positions. Because we have our rest in Jesus Christ. May we all realize this and allow Christ to come into our lives and shake us up and, and conform us to his image so that we can all come together in a fellowship and a worship that only glorifies him, that only pays attention to him, that doesn't really care whether you, you, you kneel down or whether you raise your hand or whether you clap. It only cares about exalting Jesus Christ, our all-sufficient Savior from whom all our blessings flow. I am waiting for that day. I'm waiting for the day that as Christians we will realize that God has not called us to only engage with the people that we know and the people that we love. But he has called us to engage even with those people that are unlovable. Those people that have been neglected. The ones that the society is looking down upon. The people that are smelling are in need of our love. And if you have experienced the love of God, and if, if you realize that your rest is found in Jesus Christ, you will want that other person to find it too. What is it that is stopping you? What position are you holding on to? Do you want to get well? Father, I come before you this morning thanking you for your love and for your word and for your people, Lord. You love us so much. That's why you are long-suffering, always waiting, always giving us a chance, always reminding us.
I pray that, Father, you may speak to our hearts this morning, that your Holy Spirit may accomplish the work that he needs to accomplish, that we may realize that deep down we, we all need healing and that we may submit to you for our healing, Lord. I thank you. I thank you for your faithfulness. I thank you that we can, we can turn to you and rely on you and call upon you and you will hear us. May we respond to each one of us, Lord, according to our needs. May you make us well, not for our glory, but for your glory in Jesus' name. May everyone say, Amen. Amen.